Hello and welcome to the Madison Story Slam podcast. It's me, Adam, the host of Madison Story Slam and your purveyor of stories. I don't know if that's the right word. I'm just kind of speaking and seeing if things sound good. Anyway, how are you guys doing? I'm doing well. It is the Christmas time, holiday season, whatever. I Whatever you're celebrating this year, I hope it's good. I hope it's a good holiday. I hope you have some time off of work to spend with your friends and family and eat food and get presents and, I don't know, give presents or give whatever. Whatever you do, I hope it is good. Hey, on this episode of the podcast, it is the second half of the stories from our November 2017 event. The theme was hungover. It was a fantastic night filled with stories about people not feeling too good after a night of drinking and maybe some stories about those nights that got them into those mornings where they were not feeling good from drinking the night before. Did that make sense? I don't know, but maybe, maybe, just maybe it did. Hey, our next Story Slam event is January 20th. That is Saturday, January 20th at the Wilmar Center in Madison, Wisconsin. That's where we are. And the theme then will be Liar, Liar. If you haven't noticed, we've tried to keep each theme this year, this season, kind of tied to a movie title. And so January will be Liar, Liar. So come tell a bunch of wonderful stories about times you've lied or have been lied to and what those consequences have been. What else can I tell you about? Uh... Leave us a rating or a review. I'm sorry, I do this every time. Leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or on iTunes. That helps people discover us. And if you're looking for another way on how you can help support Madison Story Slam, head on over to patreon.com slash Madison Story Slam. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Madison Story Slam. And when you go there, you can see different ways that you can help support us. And uh, just so you know, the money that comes in from Patreon helps us to pay off the rent, pay off the fees for having the, the website and the podcast. And then it also helps us do, potentially it'll help us do things that we've been wanting to do, um, some video stuff and maybe pay to be able to have somebody come produce the live shows so that I can be more focused on hosting, all that. Anyway, if you'd ever like to talk to me about that, just go to Facebook, Madison Story Slam, and uh, send us a message. Anyway, I'm rambling. I just want to hear some stories. I'm sure you do too. So let's get to the stories. Please put your hands together for Cass McBee. Uh, so before I begin, there's two things you have to know about me. One, I'm gay. Otherwise, the story wouldn't make any sense if I wasn't gay. Um, or I'd be very, very brave if I was straight and this happened. Um, two, I'm like a mix between like a 13-year-old boy and a 60-year-old crazy cat lady. So needless to say, I'm a womanizer. Um, seriously though, like I Googled like earlier this week, like how to impress a girl. And it clearly stated like, do not get up on stage and tell a story about how you became extremely inebriated and made an ass of yourself. So naturally, here I am. Uh, so this story takes place about four years ago. I'm 22 now. Don't do the math, but I was definitely over 21. Um, and I was down in Texas, and I was visiting my best friend, Ruth. That's not her real name. I changed the names in my head right now. Um, so if I accidentally say the real name, sorry, don't get confused. But her name, her name is Ruth for the purpose of this, uh, this story. And I had dated Ruth's friend, Lizzie, for about a month when I was about 15. So when I was down in Texas, I was like, okay, Ruth, you should invite Lizzie over so I can meet her because we dated for a month and I had never even met her. So I was like, invite her over. And so Ruth invites her over and she like walks in the door and I'm like really taken aback because like, like, damn, girl, like, you, she was pretty before, but, like, she's, like, hot now. Like, she's, like, 9 out of 10, and, like, I'm, like, a 3 out of 10, so, like, I don't know why she dated me, but she did. Um, so I decide at that moment that I'm, like, I want to kiss her tonight, because we already dated, so, like, we might as well kiss, right? <laughs> like, it can't be that hard to get her to kiss me. 
Um, but I was like, okay, I only have tonight because I'm going to leave soon, and I need to do this. Like, I just need to do it. But as I said before, like, I'm not good with women, so I never kiss a girl first, ever. Um, but I have to do it because she's not going to do it. Like, why would she do it? She, I'm a three out of ten. Like, why would she do that? So I tell Ruth, I'm like, okay, Ruth, um, I think we should get drunk tonight. I think that's a great idea. And Ruth's like, okay. So we go into Ruth's room. And it's a very, very tiny room, so we're, like, crammed in there. We're on, like, a twin-size bed, like all three of us. And Ruth pulls out this, like, really cheap-ass bottle of vodka. And this is what we're going to get drunk on. And I've never drank before, like, in my life. So I feel like I should have used something that was better than, like, a $2 bottle of vodka <laughs> that she, like, pulled out from underneath her mattress. Um, so before we started drinking, I thought it was very important that I talked to Lizzie about this. I said, Lizzie, I've never been drunk before, and we're going to be drinking, and I'm, I don't know, like, what type of drunk I'm going to be. I know, like, some people get really, like, happy, and they laugh a lot, and some people get really sad, and they cry a lot, and, like, some people get really angry, and they yell, and then some people get, like, super, super horny. So, like, if I'm that last person, and I kiss you, like, are you cool with that? And she was just like, yeah, I'm cool with it. So, like, I should have known right then that if she was cool with me, like, kissing her when we were drunk, that she would probably have been okay with it if we were sober. <laughs> so, like, I could have kissed her right then, but, I mean, I, I didn't do it, so. Uh, so then we start playing Never Have I Ever, which is probably a great game to get drunk if you've, like, done stuff. <laughs> but... I, I didn't do anything. So, like, they were saying things I've never even heard of. They're like, never have I ever done water sports. I'm like, great, I've jet skied before. No, that's not what water sports means in that game. <laughs> and so I'm sitting there. I'm not getting drunk. Like, they're, like, getting drunk. I'm not. I'm sober. I can't drink with those things. So I, like, start saying stuff that I know I've done. So I'm like, never have I ever held a girl's hand. Never have I ever kissed a girl. Never have I ever had Rosie O'Donnell show up in my sex stream. <laughs> okay, you laugh, but I'm sure all of you have dreamt about her too, okay? Like, don't laugh at me. Don't judge me. Um, so now I'm drinking, and I'm taking, like, shot after shot after shot, and I've had, like, 10 shots in, like, a course of, like, 30 minutes, um, which is, I guess is not how you're supposed to drink. Um, and I'm also not, like, a very big person, so, like, that, like, went all to my head real quick. But Lizzie wants to stop. Lizzie wants to go to sleep. So I like missed my chance a little bit, I thought. So she goes in the bathroom and she's like getting ready for bed. And I'm gonna like turn to Ruth to tell her like, oh man, I missed my shot. I didn't, I didn't kiss her and now she wants to go to sleep and then I'm gonna sober up and this sucks. So I turn to her and all of a sudden, my best friend is looking a little bit cute. <laughs> so, I go and I, I kiss Ruth, um, but the thing is, I'm a very blunt person in general, like, I will literally say anything that comes to my mind, and apparently that's a lot worse when you're drunk, so like, I was kissing Ruth for like a minute, and then I was like, Ruth, I gotta tell you something, you, you smell so bad right now, you smell so bad, like, so bad, and so like, she's all embarrassed now because she stinks. Like, super bad. And Lizzie comes back in the room, and Ruth's like, okay, I'm going to go shower, because you told me I smell. So she goes to shower, and I go, Lizzie, I fucked up. Like, I kissed Ruth, but I wanted to kiss you, and, like, now I still want to kiss you. Like, can I just kiss you? And she's like, yeah, like, just do it. So I start kissing her, and we're, like, making out, and it's a good time. And we kiss for, like, ten minutes or whatever. I don't remember. I don't remember details. But we were kissing for a while, and she says, Cass, stop. And this is very important. I don't care how drunk you are. I don't care how drunk she is. If a girl tells you to stop, you stop. So I stopped. And she goes, Cass, I just got to tell you something. Um, being here with you tonight uh, has made me realize that I really miss you, and I miss the emotional connection that we had in that one month of time when we were 15. Um, <laughs> and I really want to be with you again. And I go, okay, Lizzie, Lizzie, listen, I really, really need to puke. So I get up, 
and I go to the bathroom now, and Ruth's done. So Ruth, Ruth's come back in the room, and I'm in the bathroom for about 10 minutes. I don't puke, which is really great, um, but they both have gotten like, ready for bed, so I just got ready for bed, because like, that's what we're doing now, I guess. And I come back into the room, and they both like turn to me at the same exact time, like it's in a movie or something. Like They both just like whoa, whip around and look at me. I'm like, hey guys, well, what's up? <laughs> and Ruth's like, well, Cass, Lizzie and I were talking, and we were wondering if you wanted to have a threesome. And I know exactly what sober Cass would say. Sober Cass would say, uh-uh, nope. I can't even please one woman, much less two. Like, we're not doing, we're not doing this tonight. No way. Drunk Cass in me was like, do it. Like, just do it. Like, this is a once-in-a-lifetime chance. Just do it. So I'm like, okay, I'm down. And I, like, go to, like, wedge myself in between them because I'm the only one who has kissed, like, anyone tonight. Like, I kiss both of them. And so I figure I'm, like, the center of attention in this threesome. And so I go in between them, and the minute that my body, like, fully hits the mattress, I'm out. Like, I'm sleeping. <laughs> like, we're not having a threesome tonight. And I wake up the next morning, and obviously I feel like shit, because, like, who wouldn't feel like shit after that night? Like, physically. And Lizzie gets up, she leaves. She's not my friend anymore. She doesn't talk to me. My bad. Uh, yeah, it's sad, but it's okay. And um, Ruth wakes up, and Ruth goes okay, Cass, we need to talk about last night. And I go, I'm sorry, Ruth, that I kissed you. Like, I shouldn't have done that. She goes, no, no, not that. I'm like, okay, I'm sorry that I didn't have a threesome with you. And she's like, no, no, not that either. And I'm like, oh, shit, what did I do? Because I don't remember. Those are like the two things that happened. And she goes, so last night after you said that you would have the threesome with me, I'm like, oh, shit. She goes, I asked you if you would be my girlfriend, and you said yes. I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember that 100%. And so now, she, now she's my girlfriend. And she's not attractive when I'm sober. Um, I don't... I'm sorry, it's the truth. I told you, I'm blunt. And uh, I don't want to be with her, but I also am very, like, socially anxious and awkward, and I don't know how to tell her that. So I leave, and I go back home, and I go on Google, and I type in, like, how to break up with a girl. <laughs> and I click on the WikiHow article, and I get a lot of advice. Um, and then a year later, I finally work up the courage, <laughs> and I break up with her. <laughs> All right, uh, that's my story, thanks. <laughs> Thank you, Cass. A year? That is a long time to know that you don't want to be with somebody, but continue to be with them. Like, I maybe had like two months one time, but... A year? Yeah, no. Obviously no judgment, but a year? <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, our next storyteller, I'm very interested to see what his story is going to be tonight. Because I know that he's been sober for a number of years, and I'm proud of him for that. Uh, he's always funny and entertaining, and, and probably the most energetic storyteller we have at Story Slam. So, please... Give a rowdy round of applause for Marty, the meat man, Sosnowski. Hey, Adam, what happened to the penis that we were standing in front of right here that was lasting? This is awesome. We get to move around again. He, he turned us loose, man. Hey, I heard that last Saturday night there was another storytelling gig in town called Risk, I believe. Did anyone go to that? We had a couple go to it. Well, you know, uh, Adam sent us, some of us regular storytellers a message just before they came to town that they were looking for storytellers. So some of us submitted stories to it. Now, if you don't know about Risk, 
I don't know a whole lot about it, but I did submit a story, and I think, Mel, did you submit a story? Adam, I believe we all got rejected. Apparently, none of us are good enough for the risk, which is, for those of you who don't know, I guess the risk is a storytelling event where people go and tell stories like they shouldn't be telling in public. I guess is kind of what the gist of it all is. And, you know, I submitted and they rejected me, and I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? I called him up, do you know who I am? You know, I'm the fucking meat man. And I, it, it didn't seem to make any fucking difference. They were just silent on the other end, like a bird on a fucking telephone wire. And I'm like, well, what the fuck? And I even submitted to both shows, the Madison and the Chicago show. And in the Chicago show, I submitted a story about a famous punk rock star from Chicago who's in a famous Chicago band called the Jesus Lizard. David Yao is the lead singer. I have a story about a night he tried to stick a microphone up his ass and they didn't want it. Well, what, what the fuck kind of story do you have to tell to get on there? And then, and then on top of that, you have to pay 20 fucking dollars to go to this show. How much did any of you pay to get in here? Free? I knew I was with the smart people. This is where it's at. I just want to say we love risk at Madison Storyland. We understand that they need to make money because they travel all over the country and do their thing. At home, you just ruined Mark. All that work I put into that opening and look what he did. So you know what? Maybe, maybe tonight I should tell my risk story that they didn't want. What do you guys think? You know, you know, though, this is really bad. This is really bad. I've told some stories here. This is really bad. And this is really not like something you should tell in public. You know, are you guys sure that you want to hear this? Though? All right, all right. All right, this is it. This is the story. Now, a lot of you have known, lots of you know a lot of my stories because I've been here telling them for a while. You know my troubles through high school, what a little punk I was. I skipped my junior year, all that good shit. So it all culminates in me finally turning 18 and they releasing me from the school system. And like uh, Linda... My parents also got me some luggage. It was a box that said, you don't fucking live here anymore, and here's your clothes. See you later. So I spent a year in Michigan living in my uncle's garage, and I haven't told any of those stories yet, but someday I will. I come back to Appleton. I get back in Appleton. My parents let me back in the house for about two days, and I get the same box on the porch, and you don't live here anymore. So I am now 19 years old and homeless. I've made it to the pinnacle of where I of the bottom of the whiskey bottle at this point in time. So I land a job working for a steel construction company. I'm living up in Antigo in the front seat of my pickup truck working and occasionally coming back to Appleton back home where some friends would let me stay with them occasionally. It was summertime, so it wasn't so bad. And you know, Believe it or not, this is really the honest to God truth. At Anago one time, I actually got laid in the front seat of my pickup truck while I was homeless. Now, I thought that was quite an accomplishment. I doubt that that girl is out somewhere tonight telling about the story where she got laid by the homeless guy in the front seat of his pickup truck. But, so, so I'm back home one weekend staying with my best, one of my best friends from high school who would let me stay with him when I was home on the weekend. He and his girlfriend and her two-year-old son lived together. They had an apartment, and I would stay there on the weekends sometimes when I came home. So I'm home, this is bad. God, this is like the worst fucking thing you can ever do to your best friend. So one weekend, we're at the tavern party, and it's one of our friend's birthdays. We're all there, and we're just getting annihilated. Now, he had something he had to do with, I think, his brother or his dad go cut wood or something the next day. So he wanted to go home early because he had to get up early. So we're all partying. He wants to go home. And his girlfriend and I want to stay and party with our friends, so that's cool. So I give him a ride home. I give him a ride home. I come back to the bar. We continue drinking, and we got annihilated. Well, I didn't know his girlfriend that well at the time, but this girl was, you know, she was one of those nympho kind of girls. She just was. When she got really drunk, she got really horny. And apparently, I was the choice for the night. 
So we go, and she wanted to go get cigarettes. I, I was really drunk. I'm to the point of almost blackout at this time. We go, she wanted to go get cigarettes, and it was nowhere, in these days there weren't convenience stores everywhere, it was nowhere near home. So we go and we get cigarettes, and it was a ploy to get off into the parking lot somewhere. So we do, and needless to say, she reaches between my legs and the rest is history. Off into the alley we go, and we fucked like two rabbits for I don't know how. Now this is my best friend's girlfriend. Now that's bad, isn't it? That's bad. That's really bad to do to your best friend. Well, it gets worse. So, we do that, and then, okay, we got to get back. It's like 2 in the morning at this time, and, and I don't even really feel bad about this at this point. I really don't, because it, it really wasn't that big a deal. I didn't think we'd get in any trouble, no big shit. So, we go back home, and I wanted some more, and I can remember this, and she was like, no, 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 he's sleeping upstairs, man, and her two-year-old son was upstairs. So... So she goes upstairs, and she comes back down, and she said, hey, he left you a note about he was borrowing my truck the next morning to go do this work with his dad. And he left me a note that I'm supposed to leave his keys out, my keys out for him so he can use my truck. Okay, cool. Well, she shouldn't have came back down. Because I said, is he sleeping? And you, she goes, yeah, listen. And you could hear him snoring. Well... One thing turned into another, and there we are fucking like two dogs in the mud on the living room floor. And that, I'm telling you, I told you this was bad. I did this to my best friend. This is bad. But guess what? It gets worse. So I actually kind of remember this because I had probably sobered up a little bit by this point. And God, we had a good time. I hate to say it, but we had a good time. So the next thing I remember is my friend. Waking me up. Marty, where's your keys? And I wake up, and I'm laying on the living room floor with his girlfriend butt-fucking naked. It's like 6 o'clock in the morning, and there we both are all sprawled out. And I didn't even leave my keys out for him. I said, oh, my God. I go, they're in my pants somewhere. And I'm like, I mean, I told you, you guys, this is bad. You know, and, and you know what made me think of this story was I was thinking about the Me Too people and all that stuff that's going on right now. And I often thought of how, if somebody, if people started coming from my past, what would they say about me, you know, if this is what's going to happen? And then I started to think, how come I never really got up and caught up in all that? But then I started, to th the reason I thought of this story is because there's more than one way to be a Me Too, you know? And I really felt like I really treated my friend about as bad as you could. I mean, that's about as bad as you can get. He had to fucking wake me up on the living room floor as I was laying there butt naked with his girlfriend. And I'm not proud to tell this story. And it's just, I think it's one of those stories just kind of, this was really a hangover, man. And it, it's probably still going on right now is one of the reasons that I want to tell this story. Because maybe this hangover will finally leave that I've told this story. But it's not something you should be proud of to tell a story. But you know what I'm proud of is that that man and I, to this day, are still friends. And he forgave me for that. And, and that's, I'm proud to be a friend of a man like that. And I thank you, Madison, for listening to my crazy story. Thank you very much. Thank you, Marty. Sorry for interrupting your intro. You know, it's just that Risk is, gets millions of downloads a week, and we get, you know, 80 a week. <laughs> I know. They rejected me, if that's any, any uh, con consolation. Is that the word I'm looking for? All right, so our next, here's the thing. We, we at Madison Story Slam commit to butchering your name if you're a first-time storyteller. I even had our next storyteller... Several times tell me how to say her last name. And I don't remember. But please, clap your hands for Maureen Matusawick. Nice, I got it! So there was this homeless guy, and I went and I fucked him in his truck.
No. No. A month ago, I got together. with my college girlfriends like I do every year. And it was up at Diane's cabin. And, we, and within five minutes, we had to go next door and go on, on this pontoon boat. And the leaves were beautiful. And her husband was smashed, but we didn't know. And the driver next door was smashed, but we didn't know. So we get on this boat, and the girls haven't seen each other for a year. And we start, you know, we're in the back of this pontoon. Oh, it's so pretty, and the lake is so pretty. Nobody had been, we hadn't been drinking. But we're like, oh, it's so pretty. Look at the, look at the, oh. And so that's the way it was going. But the driver was going very slowly in really shallow water, which seems strange. But it was, you know, the girls were yakking. And so after we went all the way around the lake and the cabins were all deserted and nobody was on the lake, it was very nice, um, there was one buoy and it was chained to a big pillar, like some kind of cement pillar. And it was probably farther away than that window. And the driver of this boat, Peter, was like headed right for it. And so Diane says, Peter, no, don't hit that. <laughs> and he just aimed for it. <laughs> and we can, it was this slow, mo I mean, we were going slowly in this pontoon boat, and it's like time stood still, and we were just chugging these four women pushing 60, and these two really drunk guys, and we were going like this fast towards this thing. And so the women start going, no, and, and we're going, no, no, no. And you can tell this Peter's like, this is my fucking pontoon boat, and I'm just, I'm just. So we slowly, and I'm shaking my head going, we're going to be stuck. And, it, you know, we hit it. And it, the pontoon boat goes, like, from here to there. And it, the engine goes, wah, 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 wah. <laughs> and there's nobody on this lake. And it's October. And he says, I'm going to put it in reverse. <laughs> like, no. So he puts it in reverse. Wah, 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 wah. So they say, who's got a knife? And these two drunk guys, I don't have a knife. Do you have a knife? Like, nobody's got a knife to get the rope off the engine? What about, so nothing in the tackle box. And so these two guys, they, get, they each get an oar, if you can imagine this. And so I'm going to, this is not something I normally do, but... They each had an oar, and they spent their time, like the next 10 minutes, poking at rope, one yellow, one cotton, wrapped around this engine, like this. I think you're getting it, Harlan. <laughs> did you get something there? Yeah, I think I did. <laughs> well, and that went on. That went on. And I'm like, they don't have a knife? Like, what kind? Of, uh. So I have no patience. And my friend Gail has no patience. I'm like, I'm going in. I'm going in. And I, I keep go, I reaching for my pants. And they're like, no, no, we'll call 911. They're going to chart. You can't call 911. So, this, so the women are all in the back going, no, 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 no. And pretty soon I'm like, pretty soon Gail's going, go in, go. And the other women are going, it's cold. I don't care. I'm going in. So I'm, I swim in Lake Superior. I'm from northern Wisconsin, so I can really take, I can take the cold. And I knew I could take the cold, and they're going, it's spring fed. I'm like, pff, pff. So it's October, and I strip down, and I've got a T-shirt, and I'm in my panties, and I go in, and there's two ropes, a yellow nylon 
and a cotton. So I, I'm unwrapping and unwrapping, and it's really tight because he went forward and backwards just to make sure. <laughs> so, so I'm like, okay, can you maybe do the tilt a little bit? And, but I know that he's drunk enough to hit the engine, so I'm back up in the water, and you know, it comes up. And the whole time these guys are going, oh, isn't she something? She's from northern Wisconsin. Look at her. So I get it all done. And I'm like, I mean, I'm giving it everything I've got. And I get everything undone except for there's one rope. And it's got a clip on it. And the clip is rusted. And there's nothing I can do. And so I get it all undone. And I said, there's, I, I, I can't get this without a knife. And so one of them leaned over and said, how sharp are your teeth? <laughs> so I yelled, does anybody have a knife? And there's nobody, but there was a light like two, two blocks away in this lake. So I was so pissed. I'm like, I'm going to that cabin. And I start swimming, and they're saying, do you need a life jacket? Do you need a... <laughs> so I start breaststroke real slow, you know. And in my mind, seriously, I'm, I'm doing the rocky thing, Eye of the Tiger. <laughs> I've got a long ways to go, but we're not getting off of that lake unless I get... So as I'm going, I'm realizing... You're in your panties. It's October, and you're going to go up to this house and ask for a knife. So I'm like, oh, okay. And it's a brand new house. It's like three-story with big window. And they could have a dog, like mean dogs. But I get, so I get all the way. And I start crawling up. I, you know, there's like three levels of stairs. And I get to their house in this big window. It's like, it's as big as this place. And, I, and so I start talking before I get there. Like, hey, I'm coming up to your house. I need a knife. <laughs> I'm in my panties. I was swimming in the lake in October. And they can't hear me because it's a new, really quiet house. And I can see this couple, like a little bit older, and they're watching Wheel of Fortune. And, they're, and they can't, and so I keep talking. And so finally, I just like... <laughs> and they both look up, and they're like... They described it as being startled. They were startled. And, but they came, and they, I, it's, I'm really lucky that I have kind of a kind-looking face, and I know that's that worked to my favor as I was standing there. <laughs> so the first thing they said is, I'm, I started saying, it's a girls weekend. Da, da, da. So they were very kind and they, they let me in and wrapped me up and, and I'm looking at their knives like, which knife should I get? And they took, they took one and I'm like, we're going to need two just in case because if we drop. But um, on the counter, they had this big bottle of Johnny Walker Red and so they had me all wrapped up, and they're like, do you need anything? Do you need anything? And I'm like, no, 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 just a knife, just a knife. I'm like, I think I'll have some of that Johnny Walker red. That's it. Thank you. Oh, Maureen, I love the way that you started that story. Probably the best start to a story that Madison Story Slam has ever had. Hey, I trust all of you listeners are having a great time listening to these fantastic stories that were told at our hungover event in November 2017. Hopefully you're not hungover, or if you are, hopefully you had a good night last night. Hey, uh, I just want to, again, let you know that we appreciate so much the ways that you support us, the uh, ratings and reviews you leave us on iTunes and on Apple Podcasts, and anywhere that you can rate and review us. 
Another way that we would love to get your support is through Patreon. You can go to www.patreon.com slash MadisonStorySlam and go through that and look at all the ways that you can help support us, the goals we have, and maybe some of the rewards we have going on. Uh, That's really all I've got for you during this quick little intermission. Sometimes it's just nice to take a break from the stories and listen to some chill music by Friendly Monsters. This is our good friend Friendly Monsters, who actually just put out another album called I Am Lexicor. It can be found on Spotify, iTunes, pretty much anywhere you can get music online. Anyway, let's go back to the stories. Please clap for Mel Hammond. I made a lot of banana art in college. That sounds like it's sexual, but it wasn't. It was just literal bananas. I um, drew a lot of banana pictures, um, oil paintings of bananas, watercolors of bananas, mixed media collage of bananas, um, etchings of bananas. And um, my senior year, I had my own little studio um, up in the, the senior art room. And I just had a lot of banana art up there. And as a reference for my banana art, I had a lot of bananas in various states of ripeness. So I had some fresh bananas. I had some like medium yellow bananas with some spots. And then I had like the old three-week bananas that were black and liquefied inside. And um, so it was always pretty smelly. So to reduce the smell, I ended up getting some plastic bananas. Um, they, They never went bad and I could use them as reference and if I wanted to I could um, put a few stamps on and an address and you can just put that in the mail which is really cool and I did that several times. Um, So it was my senior year and making a lot of banana art and the my senior year is almost over and another one of my art friends and I decide to throw a party in the art building Um, We had never thrown a party before, so it was our first time. So we um, took over the room next to where all the senior art studios were. And the next room over, we we threw a party. We told everybody when it was going to be, where to meet, um, and then we got our supplies ready. We had a kick-ass playlist, and we got a bottle of tequila and a bottle of margarita mix. Um, And so we brought that to the studio and we raided the prop closet for some some stuff. So in there we found a big bowl and a ladle that people would like look at to draw still life. And we dumped in the tequila and the margarita mix and like stirred it and we tasted it and it was great. it was perfect party punch. Um, and then we were like pretty much set up. We had like gone up there a couple hours before, but there re- really wasn't that much to do. So um, my friend went away to do something else, to work on a painting. Um, and then I was there guarding the, the margaritas, the margarita punch. Um, so I we had, we had both had one already. And then by my lonesome, I like just took another one um, and started getting a little bored and um, just looking around the space. And I had been in this drawing studio for four years, taking classes, and um, it was a big room with very tall ceilings with rafters exposed, and there was a prop closet that was this little extra like different room, but the rafters continued over that that little closet and there was a place where you could kind of climb up. There wasn't a floor up there, but you could kind of hop from rafter to rafter if you happened to be up there. Um, And up there um, had always been these three foam mannequins, like styrofoam, um, in various positions. Um, they were very artsy, very serious, um, expressionless. And I looked up there and I said, you know, you know what would make those mannequins better? Banana phones. <laughs> so I went to my studio and I got three plastic bananas. 
And on them, I signed my name, but I signed it Banana Hammond, because that was really funny to me. So I wrote Banana Hammond on, on each of the bananas. And then um, I was probably three margaritas in at this point. And um, I had my three bananas, and I found a hammer and nails. Those tools are very accessible in an art studio. And then I found a ladder. So I um, laid the ladder up against the, the prop closet and um, with my hammer and nails and bananas, I climbed up the ladder and it, it was pretty high and I was feeling a little wobbly and I was like, mm, if you thought about this a little bit before you climbed up the ladder, you, maybe you would come to a different conclusion about what your next step should be. But I had a few margaritas, so I continued up the ladder, and I faced the rafters that I had to balance across. Um, so the, the first mannequin was pretty close to where the ladder was. So it, um, it was pretty easy to stay on the ladder and lean over, nail the banana into the mannequin's head, and then <laughs> nail the hand into the banana. So it was like, you know, the mannequin's on the banana phone. Um, and then, so one banana down, my load has been lightened. So I climb over the first mannequin onto the next rafter, and then I kind of like shimmy back a little bit, because this one's a little farther back towards the wall and um, I'm leaning up against one of the support beams and I nail that banana into the mannequin's head and then nail the hand into the banana. And then the last one is pretty tricky because it is farther over, um, away from the ladder, over two more rafters um, and it's pretty precarious. And I'm looking down at the floor and it's wavering a little bit. Um, but I lean over and I nailed that last banana into the mannequin. And then I successfully climb down the ladder and I get down on the floor and I'm like spinning a little bit. I'm like, that was real stupid. But I um, get out my, my camera and I, I take pictures of the mannequins and I'm so proud of myself. I think I'm hilarious. Um, so the party happens, we drink the margarita punch, we um, have a great time, listen to the playlist, and that, that night I, I go to sleep and I wake up with my first tequila headache, and I kind of forget about the events of that night. Fast forward five years, this past summer, um, I was back from my reunion, and I was like looking around my, my old classrooms, walked up to the art studio, and up there in the rafters were those three mannequins, and the banana phones were still there. Thank you, Mel. I don't have anything funny to say after that, so I'm just going to keep on trucking on. Our next storyteller, again, first-time storyteller, Please give, give it up for Taylor Knowles. Whew, okay, so I was uh, going to school in St. Louis, and I turned 21. And I was with a bunch of my friends who decided, well, we're all of age. We're going to go to Vegas. Woo, Vegas! And uh, we get a hotel on the Strip, and we go, and we're getting ready for our night, our first night there. And we're really excited because we're, um, you know, we've, we've had a couple, you know, couple years, not really, of uh, experienced uh, going out. And at this point, we're, we're feeling pretty confident about how we can uh, have our, our fun night out. And uh, we're, we're thinking, you know, this is going to be a heavy drinking night. We're just going to, we're going to go hard. We're going to have a lot of fun. And uh, so we're, we're getting ready, and we're, we're doing shots. And some of the guys I was with were probably a year or more older than me, so they, they were kind of the ones who planned it, because they had been to Vegas before, probably. Um, I was sort of along for the ride, so I didn't have like a room key, I, didn't, I hadn't planned it, I was just like, okay, I'm going to go along with whatever they're doing. And they decide, uh, 
we're going out to this restaurant and we're gonna we're gonna have some more drinks. We're just gonna keep like feeling good about ourselves and feeling good about how it's going. And I don't know if you've been to Vegas, but it's definitely like it's Sin City. I mean, everywhere you turn, it's give me money and I'll give you something that involves I don't know drinking or gambling or hedonism in some way. And uh, so after <laughs> after we go uh, through dinner. We're going to the casino and we're, uh, we're playing poker. And uh, you know, a as the night goes on, you get you get fed drinks because all the casinos give you free drinks while you're gambling. And uh, you know, people were dropping off because they lose, and they're going to go to the club. And I'm doing really well, so I keep playing and I keep drinking and I keep getting more drunk and I feel good. And uh, by this point, it's like the rest of the group had dropped off and gone to some kind of club, and. Uh, by the time I joined them, I, I was probably, I mean, I was probably like ten, 10 drinks in or so. So it's needless to say, it's very drunk. And I get to this club and it's fun. It's one of those ultra lounges where there's, there's sitting and there's dancing and there's weird drinks that you don't even know what's in them. And, uh, and I get this drink called an AMF and uh, it stands for adios, motherfucker. <laughs> And at that point, I said, adios, because I don't remember a damn thing after that. And I wake up the next morning in the hotel, and I'm butt-ass naked, <laughs> next to one of my friends who was gracious enough to take my clothes off for me. And, because uh, <laughs> that's what you do to your buddies when they're drunk, I guess. I don't know. Um, and I wake up to the sound of one of my friends saying, what the like, he screamed it at the top of his lungs. And he's staring at this giant piece of shit on the ground. And he, and he thinks, like, so we're all, we're all waking up hungover and drunk and still drunk, probably, and uh, very confused, wondering what happened. And uh, we're all like, oh, man, we heard, like, noises in the middle of the night. Maybe, like, some weird person brought a dog in here and the dog poops <laughs> on the carpet. Like... That's, that's where everyone's head's at at this point. And, uh, and so we were come to like this investigative situation where we have to figure out what happened to the poop in the middle of the night. And, uh, and so, so like among the stages of waking up and figuring out what's going on with your life, everybody goes to the bathroom and like sort of like freshens up or whatever. And at, at this point, it's my turn to use the restroom. And I, uh, I'm still probably naked. And I go into the restroom and... I check myself and, oh my god, I, I have the dirty butthole. <laughs> and so I turn to the mirror and I like put my hands on the counter and I look into the mirror and I think, I'm an honest person. <laughs> I, can't, I can't lie about this, you know, I like really like, I do one of these, like this is important, I can't lie about this. <laughs> and so... After a couple more minutes of contemplation, I leave the bathroom and I, I decide, like, guys, it was me. <laughs> I was the one who pooped on the carpet. <laughs> and I'm really ashamed of it, and it's, it's extremely embarrassing for me. But, you know, I came to it, and I, I cleaned it up, and I think they all took, like, lots of Snapchats of it and things. <laughs> and uh, and I, I, I ended up, you know, making sure I communicated with the hotel to clean it up uh, properly and stuff, and I paid for it. And, that, that part I feel okay about, but um, at this point it's like, well, I still don't know what happened between like the lounge and now. So uh, I check my pockets for, for what are my possessions, and I don't have a phone. I'm missing a lot of money for my wallet. Um, I managed to, I don't know how even this happened, but I logged into my online banking account and I had like an extra withdrawal from my ATM that I didn't know happened. And so it's like mission investigate right now. I gotta figure out what, what happened, and at this point I, I feel like it's really important to find my phone, which, how do you find your phone in a city like Las Vegas after you've lost it? It's not gonna happen, but I thought I could do it. And so I, uh, I end up like trying to nurse the hangover, um, trying, I end up uh, calling one of the clubs that we went to the previous night, which uh, it's the kind of club that doesn't open until like 4 p.m., so I call them at 4, and uh, it's a, it's a strip club. And I hadn't been to a strip club before, 
ever. Um, apparently I had, but no, I, not to my knowledge. And I call the place up and I'm like, hi guys, uh, I'm trying to look for my phone. Um, it's, you know, it's like a Samsung or whatever. My name's Taylor and they're like, wait, are you Taylor from Missouri? <laughs> and I'm like, yes. <laughs> Do I know you? <laughs> And they say, yeah, man, you were in here last night. You were, how do you feel today, buddy? Like, you must have been really drunk. Like, you were fighting with us. And uh, my friends filled me in on this, but apparently I was, uh, I was fighting with the bouncers and uh, just being, like, a belligerent person. And I'm not, like, I'm not the biggest guy, so I was, I was fighting with these bigger bouncers. Uh, didn't care at all. Uh, other uh, highlights of that night that I filled in the blanks on were um, one of my friends uh, vomited all over the sidewalk next to uh, the Venetian Palace and, uh, or the like Bellagio and then uh, proceeded to like wear those same vomited clothes for the rest of the night. Uh, yeah, I think it took, uh, it took a, like a week to get the smell out of those clothes for him. But, um, yeah, and I spent the whole next day tr trying to walk off the strip to the, uh, the cell phone store to get a new cell phone because uh, I'm very dependent on it and I needed it. Uh, and basically the, uh, the rest of that trip was me nursing that hangover because I was, I was basically had the flu and was in bed and uh, didn't, didn't turn out great for me. Um, and then the rest of uh, the icing on the cake for that was when I got back to school, uh, those guys told everybody. <laughs> so apparently what happened in Vegas doesn't stay in Vegas. Thank you. Okay, our final storyteller is somebody who always has a great story to tell, Zach. And uh, I'm sure even though he came unprepared this time, he told me he's unprepared. I'm sure it's still going to be an amazing story because I've never heard Zach tell a story that has not landed well. So please put your hands together for Zachary Shea. Don't upsell it too much. Now there were expectations. I had this whole plan to start this one out like downplaying it just in case. Uh, in fact, I really don't. I'm a bit of a nerd. I'm very straight edge. I've never been hungover because I've never had a drink. That's not true. I've had one drink. It was a three-proof fruity fizzy affair afterwards, after which I complained it was too strong. And my girlfriend at the time used a derogatory term for women's genitalia to describe how she felt about me in the moment. <laughs> Uh, I don't know, I've just, I, you're getting tired, Zach, tonight. I just, I, I, I didn't do drugs or alcohol until I was 21, and then I hit 21, and I'm like, well, I got the streak going, I'll just keep it alive. So this story is more about how I'm a straight edge than about any particular hangover. I used to work at this camp, a YMCA camp in New Hampshire. Lake Winnipesaukee. It's on an island, actually. And during the preseason, before the camp actually gets going, they rent it out to weddings. And when you rent out a whole island for your wedding, these are very well-off people. And the weddings are very boozy affairs, which I understand. If you rent a whole island, why not have a keg at every point with a sandy beach? which is what they did. Drugs, alcohol, they were wild, crazy parties. And we put on a whole show. Like, my job was cleaning dishes in the kitchen, but when these weddings were on, I was driving people to their cabins, and I, we brought out the nice linens. We had nice linens. And we would put them on the beds, and everything would be fresh and smell nice. Uh, and the people were very rude all the time. They were like, where is my luggage? I'm like, it is a mile-long island. We will get there. Um, but in general, when delivering luggage, people just wanted their stuff. And again, I think that might have to do with the drugs and the alcohol. They just want their drugs. They want them at 
their cabin. So, one wedding in particular, we were driving people around, and people were particularly rude at this wedding, but I wasn't thinking anything of it until we got one guy who was very, very nice. Like, unusually nice. We get, he, he asks us if we got his stuff. I say yes, and he goes, no worries, don't even stress about it. We get to his cabin, and he's like, oh, let me help you. No one ever offers to help. This is super weird, and it's really nice of him. And we bring all this stuff up really quickly, and we go back, and he comes to the truck, and he goes, I want to thank you for your trouble. Now, YMCA employees are not supposed to accept tips. The line is, thank you, but if you could just write a recommendation or uh, write a, a compliment with our name in it. Uh, but I decide, I'm with two other people who've been working really hard, I'm not going to refuse the tip. I'm just going to let them tip us. It's not what I normally do. But I like, whatever. So I say, thank you, we appreciate that, and he plops this beautiful bell mason jar of marijuana in my hand. <laughs> I mean beautiful. Like if Martha Stewart were to prepare, <laughs> when Martha Stewart prepares marijuana, it is most certainly with this. There was like fancy, del he clearly brought a lot and these were extra party favors we were getting, I think is what I'm saying. And he's just telling us how great this shit is. But of course, I had, I was 21 and I had never seen marijuana in my life. I was terrified. I was like, I am going to jail. <laughs> this, is how, this is how my life ends. And of course, I'm like, he gives us each a jar so I have no excuse. And I turn to the guys in the truck with me and he's like, don't say anything. He knows I'm a straight edge. He knows that like, this isn't my deal. And I'm like, do you want it? And he's like, I don't want to get caught with two things of marijuana. You get rid of it. So I'm like, all right, here's the plan. I'm just going to find a trash can as soon as I can and I'm just going to get rid of it. Like, I know I'm wasting good stuff. I know someone in the audience is going to break me later. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that my plan was to waste good marijuana, which was apparently really good stuff. But we drive the truck to the dock where we normally go. And this is where I was like, I'm going to tell them I need to go to the bathroom. I'm just going to go somewhere, and I'm going to throw it out. And I'm walking up the dock, and walking down the dock is my boss. And she's like... Hey, Zach, how's it going? She clearly wants to talk to me. So I throw it in the lake. <laughs> I don't know, I panicked. And that's... So years later, I'm still working at this camp. And it's actually, it's towards the end of the summer, and... These campers hold a story slam. It's the first ever story slam I go to. And I tell this story to them. I feel like there's enough time distance that I can get away with it. And after I tell the story, I go to the dining hall. This big guy. I, I'm not going to say his actual name. Let's call him Bob. Big guy, husky guy, he drives the trucks, he's in charge of fixing things, he's in charge of the fire truck if something catches on fire. He was apparently there listening to the story. And he comes up to me, and he grips me with that really tight old man grip, which makes me wonder whether or not he's a vet, and makes me wonder or not I'm in trouble. And he just looks me in the eye, and he goes, Witch Doc. <laughs> That's all I got for you. Thank you for tuning in to another great episode of Madison's Story Slam. We always love having you listen to our stories and listen to me ramble as a host. Sorry for my rambling at times. 
Hey, our next Story Slam is Saturday, January 20th at the Wilmar Center on Jennifer Street in Madison. The theme will be Liar, Liar. So come tell and hear great stories about times you've lied or times you've been lied to and all of the crazy shenanigans that go along with trying to carry out a lie. Uh, Let's see. We've got some exciting stuff in the works. In February, we are doing a team-up with Wisconsin Public Television for a Garden Expo Story Slam. So it's a Story Slam that's all about the resilience in gardening. That's taking place uh, at the Frequency in February. You can check our Facebook page at facebook.com slash madisonstoryslam for more info on that. We will be posting about it all month long. Set the frequency, so come on out. Here's some stories about gardening and have a good time. Hey, come to a Story Slam, keep listening to the podcast, and as always, I love you.